Brew Strong is brought to you by Blickman Engineering, home of the top-tier brewing stand. Visit them online at BlickmanEngineering.com. for the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think, Jamil Zainashev and John Palmer. This is Brew Strong. Hey, howdy, hey, my brewing brothers and sisters. Greetings, greetings. <laughs> uh, my, delicate, uh, my delicate Cretan flower. <laughs> oh, I tell you, um, I'm excited because probably when this show airs, I'll be in uh, Japan or South Korea. Sweet. What will you be doing there? I will be in Japan. We are doing American uh, craft beer invasion, American craft beer event or something. So in Tokyo on the 20th and Osaka on the 21st. We're going to like do talks and serve beer and all that sort of stuff. And then I'm going to go hit a whole whole bunch of uh, events. the days leading up to that, going to go around and uh, meet some homebrewers, go to some accounts that serve our beer. Excellent. That and then sounds in, like a lot of fun. Uh, in South Korea, we're going to do some stuff as well. And, um, you should go to North Korea while you're there. See what, I, the, see what the beer scene's like up there. If you want to give us, come back with some real stories. <laughs> Cross that border. <laughs> Y'all still have some real stories. <laughs> Yeah, my daughter was telling me there's MERS uh, in South Korea. Uh, Twelve people dead or something like that. Boy. um, Don't you catch a disease every time you travel to another? Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome. Uh, I'm pretty sure last time you came back with something from somewhere else. There's no cure for it, and 27% of people die. Oh, God. (laughs) They have no... no, So, you're right. So... Uh, no, my daughter's studying public health, so she knows a whole lot of diseases and <laughs> where people are dying all over the world. Yeah. So uh, she's going with me. Okay. Which I, I'm not too comfortable with now. I was comfortable with it until I learned that people died. But um, well, she can come back and tell Justin all about it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She'll probably live. I'll die. Yeah, I was going to say, because you're not going to make it. <laughs> right, right. No. So, yeah, they gave me a typhoid uh, vaccine. They gave me hepatitis A and B vaccine. Hmm. They skipped the Japanese encephalitis. They said, don't get bit by a mosquito. That's what they told me. <laughs> like, that's easy to do. Right, right. I'm like, oh, okay. I get bit here in the studio. I, I don't know. <laughs> and, um, no, we're going to go do a uh, at a, at a homebrew shop. Uh, I give them some recipes, and uh, people are going to brew these recipes, and we're going to have like a little competition at this homebrew shop. We're going to brew, homebrew, and then we're going to have this little competition and see who brewed the best beer based on uh, some of my recipes. Oh, that'd be fun. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah. Drink some Heretic beer. going be going to be a blast. It's very cool. South Korea. Yeah. Speaking uh, well, of biting... <laughs> He's biting. Our friend John Flickman. He bites. I'm sure he does. Has he ever bitten you? Uh, not that I remember. I right. was drunk at the time. Right. Have you ever bitten John? Not that I remember. Not that I remember. I take the fifth. I plead the fifth. I do not remember anything of that sort, officer, uh, counselor. Mary Ellen. Your honor. Yes. Mary Ellen. <laughs> Do not remember. I do not remember ga- engaging in that activity, Doctor. Uh, <laughs> you know, Blickman listens to all these shows. He does. And every once in a while, he sends me an email going, you know, I caught up on shows. A couple of things. 
<laughs> well, this, like, this time it's going to be, uh, I don't care what Palmer remembers, he did bite me. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He'll, he'll say, uh, yeah, bite me. He'll tell me, you know, bite me. Um, no, I'll, I'll tell you, he's, he's, a, he's a funny, uh, clever guy and um, really interested in homebrew. And he uses that cleverness to innovate uh, great uh, homebrew equipment. So check him out, BlickmanEngineering.com. Blickman with two N's. There's some G's and stuff in engineering and uh, a, a dot for dot com. Uh, check it out. Uh, he'll also be at the uh, Homebrewers Conference. So uh, yeah. if you hear this before then, uh, go go. Should be say some hi. interesting stuff there. Yeah, they're always innovating your brew day. Uh, clever guy, and uh, they've been paying for this show for eight years or however long we've been doing this one. Yeah. Uh, so you don't have to. So. The very least you can do is give them a thank you and uh, say hi. All right. Uh, last show, we were deep into the throes of uh, mash temperatures and times. Yep. And uh, we wanted to continue that. We left off with the thermostability of enzymes. And uh, you were just going to talk about uh, mash in temperatures. Yeah. Well, to give everybody a little recap, if they're just tuning into this one versus the last one, um, we're trying to address uh, concerns in the forums and the questions. You know, uh, how long do we need to mash? How long is too long? Um, you know, if the enzymes are denaturing during the mash, uh, you know, is it pointless to keep to keep on mashing if after they're after they're gone? So um, we're looking at some of the scientific literature in the Journal of the American Society of Brewing Chemists, among um, other things. And trying to put some numbers uh, to these questions, get it put a, in other words, put a ballpark around this, uh, the behavior in the mash so, you know, we can address some of these questions. Um, last show, we talked about um, the factors that affect conversion, such as degree of crush, pH, water to grist ratio, enzyme content, how you know, changing base malts from one company to another, uh, one year to another, can also change how um, how the mash uh, the, or the change the the wort that you get from the mash. Um, if you, even if your mash schedule is exactly the same, uh, changing the malt can can give you you know lower fermentability, higher fermentability, lower extract, higher extract. I mean, there's a, a lot of changes that can take place. So, um, kind of looking at the enzymes in the mash, uh, we talked about how beta amylase and limit dextrinase, uh, two of the uh, three enzymes that are pr primarily responsible for starch conversion to sugars, um, they're not very heat stable. That when, once you get above 65C, which is kind of the typical uh, finish of gelatinization or where the starches become soluble in the, in the mash uh, and the enzymes can start acting on them. Uh, once you get above that temperature, well, 65C, 147F, um, the end, these uh, beta amylase and limit dextrinase start denaturing. That is, they start uncoiling. They start losing their shape that allows them to act like keys in a lock to break up the starch molecules. So, um, one and finally, the life of beta amylase at these temperatures, just above 64C, 148, 150F, um, is about 30 minutes. Uh, but again, that number can vary depending on many factors, uh, including barley variety, crop year, maltster, et cetera. Okay? Just kind of just use it as a kind of a ballpark number. So let's look at now uh, the effect of mash-in temperature. We talked about how if you uh, mash in above the gelatinization temperature, um, this is beneficial because you have not given a lot of time for denaturing to occur. The starches are uh, readily soluble. Um, and, you know, beta amylase and the other uh, amylase enzymes can go right to work. Um, and I'm talking about a single temperature infusion mash where you've got 
dry grain, you add 160 degree water and, you know, infuse. And now you come out at a mash temperature of 150F or 148F, somewhere right there, just above the gelatinization temperature. Um, now you've got, you know, the best uh, beta amylase and limit dextrinase activity that you can get um, for the longest period of time. If you go any higher, they're going to denature faster. They'll work a little faster, but they'll also denature faster, and you'll get less fermentability. So for the most fermentable wort, you want to be right above the gelatinization temperature. Um, but let's let's look at, you know, if we dough in at a different temperature. Um, Jamil, uh, do you use protein rests in any of your, your mashing at Heretic? No, we don't. Uh, we have the ability to do multi-step mashes, and, um, you know, I tried them as a, as a home brewer, and I, I just found very little um, need benefit uh, yeah. to, to doing so. Mm-hmm. But that was me. I've, uh, I'm told, uh, or I have read that uh, Charlie Papazian does a protein rest on every beer. Mm-hmm. And, and many people do. Um, you know, when you do a protein rest, um, we used to talk about uh, different levels of protein rest, you know, low temperature protein rest, a high temperature protein rest, mm-hmm. say 115F to 130F, you know, difference. Um, but again, it's one of the situations where you've got lots of different groups of protein enzymes, you know, more than just two, you have, you know, a group of like 20 that are all having Mm -hmm. some effect on the proteins, you know, in the, in the malt, in the mash. And uh, between all these combinations, you really can't optimize for one effect over another. You can't really enhance foam stability uh, without also increasing uh, your potential for haze. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, so it, it all kind of happens in parallel, just like starch conversion. Mm-hmm. Um, we used to have to do, and I'm when I say we used to have to do this, I'm talking, you know, 200 years ago, uh, 100 years ago. I remember uh, that, yeah. Yeah. Malt modification wasn't as extensive. They didn't have the tools for measuring malt modification uh, degree of malt modification that we do now. Mm-hmm. And so uh, malts tend to be less modified. That is, the protein matrix that surrounds the starch granules was more intact at the end of malting. And so it took a protein rest in the mash or even sometimes a decoction step in the mash to fully break down that matrix and re- help release those starch granules and get them soluble for for the sacrification enzyme activity. Mm-hmm. Um, so, from the standpoint of modern, well modified malts, and by well well modified, I mean, or um, I generally mean uh, malts with a Kolbach index uh, greater than forty, mm-hmm. forty percent. Um, the you get a better yield with well-modified malts when you mash in above the gelatinization temperature because, you know, they become soluble. You have immediate, you know, uh, amylase activity. You haven't started denaturing anything yet or prior to that by, you know, ramping up slowly mm-hmm. to that temperature. Mm-hmm. You get better fermentability with well, well-modified malts when you mash in above the gelatinization temperature. Mm -hmm. Um, If you do a protein rest, you will increase, significantly increase, the the free amino nitrogen, the fan content of the wort. Mm -hmm. Um, However, the protein, if you do a protein rest, you will not generally get higher yield, higher extract yield from a well-modified malt. That is going to be relatively unchanged. So I've always wondered if, you know, there's something about protein rest that actually improves. People thought it was better because they weren't pitching enough yeast. They weren't pitching enough healthy yeast. They weren't, you know, monitoring their fermentation as well. And so, you know, there was something like more free amino nitrogen that actually helped 
their fermentation. And so that's why they believed that they were getting a better beer by doing decoctions or by doing a protein rest. These people insist on it. And the stuff that I've done, I'm not seeing that result. But I always wondered, well, the way that a lot of these folks are doing their fermentation, maybe they're not really focused on the yeast, and that's the issue. And so there's something about that that is lending itself to improving fermentation. Yeah, that could be one factor, yeah. You could just throw in some nutrient and pitch more yeast, and you're off and running instead of doing a protein rest. Mm-hmm. So I, I wonder about this with the free amino uh, nitrogen. I, I see that, and I'm thinking, huh? Yeah. I mean, maybe maybe there was something to my my adult mind wandering, right? Yeah, and you know, even today, I mean, generally malts are well modified. I mean, you know, the big brewers, you know, really pushed for that over mm-hmm. the last you know fifty, a hundred years. Mm-hmm. Uh, they wanted you know high diastatic power malts that are easy to mash. You know, and again, in the interest of time and money, you know, getting high throughput through a commercial brewery, mm-hmm. uh, they were pushing for highly modified malt. Um, you can still find less modified malt that, you know, would benefit from a short protein rest, you know, to yield a little more extract. Mm-hmm. Um, but generally with well-modified malts, you know, doughing in or mashing in above the gelatinization temp, you are not going to get a, a significant increase in fermentability or extract yield uh, today. Oh, there you go. Uh, let's do this. Let's take a short break. When we come back, we'll hear more about uh, mash time and temperature right after this. Are you looking for a simple brewing system that's great for all grain brewing, but everything on the market seems to be full of compromises? Blickman Engineering has the answer. The Blickman Brew Easy All Grain Brewing System. The Brew Easy is a complete system with easy upgrades and a beautiful compact design, perfect for any size brewing location. At its core, the Brew Easy is built on two gorgeous Blickman Boilermaker brew kettles, a high temperature March pump, and either a top tier gas burner or the new boil coil electric heater. The Brew Easy adapter lid allows the pots to stack on top of each other, forming an efficient, strong, and compact brewing setup that comes in 5, 10, and 20-gallon batch sizes. Upgrade your BrewEasy system with full automated control by adding a Blickman Tower of Power temp controller and make moving around easy with the Blickman Kettle Cart. The BrewEasy is modular. If you already own a Boilermaker kettle, you can build your BrewEasy by purchasing just the modules you need. The new BrewEasy all-grain brewing system. See it today at BlickmanEngineering.com and brew with Blickman quality on your new BrewEasy. Since the first time the Brewing Network microphones turned on, more beer was behind it. More Beer sponsors the programming on the BN because, like you, they love brewing. And like the Brewing Network, they love sharing their knowledge. Morebeer.com isn't just a website to place your next equipment or ingredient order. Morebeer.com also gives you access to free beer information that will make you a better brewer. Go to morebeer.com and click into the Learning Center. You'll find podcasts, technical facts, video tutorials, and more, including access to The Buzz, More Beer's social network of more than 5,000 members. And some of them might even be crazier about beer than you are. Get over to morebeer.com today and take advantage of the buzz, the forum, the learning center, and make sure you're signed up to receive the newest More Beer catalog. More Beer, bringing you absolutely everything for beer making. Hey, my brewing brothers and sisters, this is Jamel Zanisha, and I love a bold, hoppy beer, one that spits resin in your face and makes you cry, uncle. There are a lot of great hoppy beers out there, but at Heretic, we want to make something as bold, dank, and resiny as possible. We use hops at every chance we get, including multiple dry hop additions. The result is Heretic Evil Cousin. This light golden, 8% Imperial IPA has an easy malt character that helps take the edge off the massive bittering, but it takes a backseat to the in-your-face hop character. We make sure this beer finishes dry so the hops can jump out and slam me in the taste buds. If you can't get enough hoppy goodness, Evil Cousin is your cup of tea. Cheers. When I order a beer, I want my server to know more about it than I do. I want someone who enjoys good beer and loves helping others enjoy it too. I want someone who knows how to pour a perfect pint for every beer style. I want a Cicerone. 
The Cicerone Certification Program is creating the type of people who help you enjoy great beer. Home brewers and craft beer lovers know beer is more flavorful and complex than ever, and it takes some serious knowledge to store and serve beer right. Cicerone's no beer. There are three levels in the Cicerone Program. Certified Beer Server, Certified Cicerone, and Master Cicerone. Cicerone's are truly the sommeliers of beer. The best beer locations have a certified Cicerone on staff. Relaxed and unpretentious. Cicerone's are tested on storing and serving beer, beer styles, flavor and tasting, the brewing process and ingredients, and pairing food with beer. Learn more about your next beer guide at Cicerone.org. Certified Cicerone, because it takes top talent to present a perfect pint. For nearly 40 years, one organization has had your back. The American Homebrewers Association. Are you a member? (laughs) Why not? Join the more than 40,000 brewers who enjoy all the American Homebrewers Association has to offer. Like Zymergy Magazine, in print and online. Plus the Zymergy app. Zymergy is the leading publication for amateur brewers around the world. Supporters also get member deals at their local breweries, bars, and homebrew shops. These alone quickly pay for your membership. You'll also get great member-only resources at homebrewersassociation.org and access to AHA events like the National Homebrewers Conference and the National Homebrew Competition. The American Homebrewers Association promotes the hobby of homebrewing, protects the interests of homebrewers, and brings beer lovers to together become a member today it costs less than a batch of beer and gives back so much more visit homebrewersassociation.org like the lance armstrong of the beer world except for that nut thing this is brew strong all right we're back John, uh, yes. <laughs> more about uh, mash time. Okay, we got we got time for that. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, you were talking about long ramp times between a protein rest and yeah, sacrification. Yeah. Um, You're gonna kill your beta amylase. That's right. Um, you know, the, the problem with the, the thermal in, instability of beta amylase and limit dextrinase is, you know, they are denaturing. And um, so if you, if you do a protein rest, if you're going to do a multi-step mash, um, whether this is a home or a commercial brewery, um, and you take a long time in, in ramping between them, uh, you are going to it's it's like you're it's like you've got the patient on the operating table you cut them open and then you wait around for a while while they bleed before you get around to doing the open heart surgery or liver transplant or whatever you know favorite surgery you have in mind right a lot um, of uh people that are doing step mashes they they don't rise faster than a degree a minute yeah and so you end up uh you know 20 well, minutes you know, in plus the, at least five minutes, 10 minutes, you know, mm-hmm. that can be, you know, that's 10 minutes out of that 30 minute window that we have um, for, you know, the, the thermal stability of the beta amylase. So that's something to keep in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if uh, depending on what your method is for raising your mash temperature, if you're doing, you know, multiple infusions in a cooler, um, you know, you may want to make sure that you've got, uh, you know, sufficiently hot water to, to, you know, raise that temperature quickly. Or if you're doing it on a, on a pot on the stove or with a rim system or a herm system, mm-hmm. you know, that you've got the equipment and the capability to make that, that ramp happen, you know, in a reasonable amount of time. One degree a minute, uh, two degrees a minute is, you know, is a good um, goal. Could it be that these folks who say, oh, you know, doing a protein rest gives me like a thicker, richer beer and, you know, better body and and all that because they're taking this long time to raise their mash temp and then they've killed off all the beta amylase and so all they get is really alpha amylase activity? 
eventually. That could be one factor there, yeah. And so they're getting a lot more long-chain sugars, and then it ends up, you know... A little sweeter, a little richer. Yeah. And so they're like, oh, no, that was that's what did it, was the protein rest and the, and the step mash, yeah. versus they could just, you know, single infusion at a higher temp. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Um, doing a, doing a two step beta and alpha rest, you know, if you're looking for a drier beer, is still a good idea with these well modified malts. Mm-hmm. You can, you know, you what you're doing is you're maximizing your beta rest and your beta life mm-hmm. uh, in the beer, and you know, really helping to produce lots of maltose um, as far as, or versus um, say going to an intermediate mash temperature of say 154 mm-hmm. between beta and alpha. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, depending on your equipment, depending on your malt and other parameters, um, like Firestone, you can achieve, uh, very similar worts, um, similar, uh, fermentability, total extract yield, fan, you know, wort pH and so on with a single infusion, uh, versus the multi-step. Um, but you know, that kind of finding that temperature that works for you and your process and your recipe is something, you know, as a matter of trial and error, mm-hmm. uh, you're going to have to do that work. But, you know, that, that solution is, is out there. Um, you know, let's, let's look at the other end of the scale now. You know, we've talked a bit about, you know, uh, mashing for 30 minutes, mashing for 60 minutes, you know, how that doesn't really hurt anything, you know, just because, the majority of the conversion is happening in the first 15 minutes and in the first 30 minutes, you know, doesn't necessarily mean you have to stop. You can, you can let it continue for the full hour. Uh, on the other hand, if you do only a short, say, 20-minute rest at 64C, 147F, um, you can run into the situation where you don't give enough time for conversion to occur. And this is uh, more likely in what we call ultra-thick mashes, very low um, water-to-grist ratios. Um, Water-to-grist ratios around uh, one quart per pound or um, two liters per kilogram. Uh, These are uh, very thick mashes or ultra-thick mashes, and it is difficult to get the enzyme mobility and uh, activity in, a, in an ultra-thick mash over short mashing times. Um, the studies I was looking at su- suggested that for those conditions, uh, a mashing time of 30 to 40 minutes uh, produced much better yield and fermentability than a short 20-minute mash. Mm-hmm. Um, Let's see. Uh, From one of Evan's papers in 2011, um, he cited that uh, for small-scale single infusion mashes at 65 C, 149F, um, the moving from a 30 to a 60-minute mash increased the percent extract by about 1% and increased the percent fermentability by about 5%. uh, from you know thirty to sixty minutes um, versus uh, thirty minutes alone. Right, the one percent extract increase is, is hardly anything. Right, you know, very it doesn't, small. Doesn't really do anything. But the five percent increase in uh, attenuation uh, that can be helpful. That's substantial. Yeah. So uh, you know, longer uh, longer mash times on those uh, lower lower temperature mashes. Yeah, uh, you know, because generally the reason why somebody's doing a lower temperature mash in the first place is that they, they want, want the ferment- fermentability. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. So you know, be aware of these trade offs. I mean, you can get, you know, you can get a majority of it done in a shorter amount of time, and if that is, you know, economically viable for you, great. But if you're looking for, you know, better fermentability, then going for the longer mash is. Uh, you know, better. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Give a little more, put some more numbers to these uh, mash times. Um, in about 15 minutes, uh, according to Evans, 
uh, you'll get about 80% of your total fermentability in the first 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. That will climb to about 85% of the total uh, fermentability after 30 minutes and about 90% of the total fermentability uh, after 60 minutes. So there's, you know, again, different study, different malts, but the same kind of trend, Mm -hmm. you know. Majority, a little bit more, a little bit more with increasing time. Well, and I've always uh, <coughs> espoused uh, in my BYO articles, uh, you know, if you're doing something that's, uh, you know, low low mash temp and um, you've got, uh, you know, you're, you're shooting for fermentability, uh, you know, go 90 minutes. Yeah. Uh, and you yeah. pretty much have captured as much as you're going to capture at that point. That's right. right. Yeah. And you're not hurting anything. You're, you know, at at sacrification temperatures, um, your protein enzymes have long denatured, uh, so you're not breaking anything down you know, in terms of your head retention or more haze. Mm-hmm. All you're doing is getting that little bit more fermentability, a little bit more extract that you may want. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, let's see. You know, and again, as we were, as we were saying. Uh, if you go higher temperatures than, say, 65 or 148F, uh, the, this conversion will happen more quickly, but it will also end sooner. So the net effect of going higher in temperature is to de- decrease the uh, fermentability of that wort compared to the you know, maximum fermentability for uh, that uh, barley, mm-hmm. that malt. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I'll just kind of look at my notes here. Um, again, any these these further additions of extract and fermentability are attributed to the actions of alpha amylase and uh, glucosidase, mm-hmm. um, generating you know more fermentable sugars, mm-hmm. not just dextrins. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also produce you know in, in that random manner mm-hmm. they will produce for shorter fermentable sugars as well. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, why don't we do this? One more break, and uh, when we come back, we can talk about the crush and how that affects uh, the match. Sounds good. Sounds good. All right. We'll be back right after this. The 21st Amendment. Watch out! Do you like beer? They make beer. Watch out! Do you like friends and fun? They make friends and fun. Watch out! Do you still like to have a good time? The 21st Amendment. Watch out! The 21st Amendment in San Francisco, located at 563 2nd Street, two blocks from the building where baseball is seen and played. Try their beers in the pub or try them in the can, featuring... Monk's Blood. Made with real monk. Watch out! So why not have the best time of your life? Go to the 21A and Sean O'Sullivan will personally greet you with a can of... Monk's Blood. The 21st Amendment. Watch out! This advertisement is not in any way affiliated nor associated with the 21st Amendment Bar and Pub, nor its subsidiaries or affiliates. This telecast is not copywritten by the 21st Amendment for the private use of the Brewing Network. Any use of this telecast without Jamil Zanishev's consent is prohibited. Saka JP. The 21st Amendment. Watch out! Do you like beer? They make beer. Watch out! Do you like friends and fun? They make friends and fun. Watch out! Do you still like to have a good time? The 21st Amendment. Watch out! The 21st Amendment in San Francisco, located at 563 2nd Street, two blocks from the building where baseball is seen and played. Try their beers in the pub or try them in the can, featuring... Monk's Blood. Made with real monk. Watch out! So why not have the best time of your life? Go to the 21A and Sean O'Sullivan will personally greet you with a can of... Monk's Blood. The 21st Amendment. Watch out! This advertisement is not in any way affiliated nor associated with the 21st Amendment Bar and Pub, nor its subsidiaries or affiliates. This telecast is not copywritten by the 21st Amendment for the private use of the Brewing Network. Any use of this telecast without Jamil Zanishev's consent is prohibited. Saka JP. BN Army, I'm here to talk seriously for a second. You all are partially responsible for something explosive, and it's time you answer for it. 
moonlight meadery is exploding. Yeah, exploding across the country. Wait, they just landed in Australia with insane quality mead. With nearly 70 different varieties of mead on the market, Moonlight Meadery has blown up the mead category and completely reinvented it. Seriously? What? Seriously? What? You're paying money for that watered-down mead when you could have a Moonlight Mead? Moonlight Meads explode with quality and flavor. They're a party in a bottle. Did someone say party? If you want mead and want the best, you want meads from Moonlight Meadery and will accept nothing less. And now get 15% off by going to moonlightmeadery.com forward slash BNArmy and use coupon code BNArmy at checkout. Hey, sign me up for that party. A few things happened 30 years ago. ARPANET migrated to TCPIP and the Internet was born. Revenge of the Jedi was renamed Return of the Jedi and opened in theaters. Mila Kunis and Emily Blunt were born, beginning a rad fantasy in my mind. But all of that pales next to the fact that HopTech opened its doors and began blowing homebrewers right out of their mash tuns. HopTech doesn't fuck around. Real people shipping awesome shit straight to you. Their new website is fast and easy to navigate. Or just call 800-379-4677 and let badass bitch Jade and the gadget guy Roberto blow their warm load of customer service all over you. So visit the site or visit the store in Dublin, California and support those that support you. Get your brewing on at HopTech.com. Hey, my brewing brothers and sisters, this is Jamel Zanishef, and I want to tell you about Heretic Evil Twin. You might be familiar with my homebrew recipe, which uses massive late hopping to create a balance between the malty sweet and the hoppy bitter, along with an outrageous malt and hop character. I wanted a beer with the same bold hop and malt character, so we played around with the homebrew recipe until we were able to make a great commercial version, too. We've created a beer rich in malt character, full of caramel, toast, biscuit, and an ever-so-subtle roast note. On top of that, we piled in an insane amount of citra and Columbus hops at the end of the boil, as well as in dry hopping. This damn-the-cost approach to hopping gives Heretic's Evil Twin a great blast of citrus and tropical fruit that can't be matched by any other hop. The result is a bold, malty, hoppy, but easy-drinking beer. This is our top seller, our flagship beer, and I couldn't be prouder of it. Cheers. To find Heretic Beers near you, click on Find Some at hereticbrewing.com. Williams Brewing is your online resource for prompt delivery of quality homebrewing supplies. Since 1979, Williams Brewing has offered the finest equipment and the freshest ingredients, backed by the best customer service in the business. Do you like to mash using efficient fly sparging, but would like an easy way to heat your strike and sparge water? Enter the new Brewer's Edge Electric Mash Water Heater, a plug-in, anywhere, precisely controlled heater for strike and sparge water. Ditch the fumes and second burner and make mashing easy. Go to williamsbrewing.com today and browse their vast selection. That's williamsbrewing.com. Orders placed by 4 p.m. Pacific time weekdays ship the same day. Brewing is easy the Williams way. Back to the two guys that know how to turn beer into beer. This is Brew Strong. All right. Crush. Tell me about crush and how that's affected my mash. Is when you take a handful of malt and just kind of rub it between your hands, get it all nice and squishy. And... Hey, I'm talking about rubbing between my hands something squishy. Crush is what you do <laughs> with your cocaine before you snort it. I think is the answer Jamil was looking for. <laughs> yeah, no, Tell me about crush. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've always believed that, you know, the finer you crush your malt, uh, the, the better, the more extract you're going to get, the faster it's going to extract. I mean, you know, is that, is that not true? Well, it's generally true. Um, uh, when, if you're at or above the sacrification temperatures, you know, you're above that gelatinization temperature, um, then a finer crush 
will give you higher extract, you know, more soluble extract mm-hmm. in a faster, um, a shorter amount of time. Mm-hmm. You can shorten your mash schedule. And, you know, if you've got a fairly standard mash schedule length or, you know, a set mash schedule length, uh, a finer crush is going to give you more extract over a coarser crush. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I, I always base that off of, well, if I throw a whole grain in, uh, yeah. it really kind of sucks. Yeah, it doesn't work too well. Mm-hmm. Um, a finer a finer crush will also therefore give you faster conversion because you're providing more surface area mm-hmm. for the enzymes to act on. Um, it's you know that that starch is able to solubilize faster with the finer particle size and so on. But well, so what doesn't finer crush do then? Well, again, at when you're at or above sa- the sacrification temperatures. Uh, it does not generally give you better fermentability. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you're looking at, uh, you know, a commercial or if you're looking at one of your beer recipes and you're saying, I want this to be a drier beer, a more fermentable beer, you know, in crushing it finer is not going to do that for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, likewise, um, you know, a finer crush does not generate more free amino nitrogen. Mm-hmm. Again, when you're at, you know, these the sacrification temperature ranges, mm-hmm. um, you know, protein rests and so on, that's right. pretty much done. So in general, you know, crush and the and the water and enzymes hitting everything, that's where your extract and your your conversion happen. Yeah, mixing and stirring, and that's what that's going to do. Right. What's really, you know, fermentability, free amino nitrogen, all that stuff, the cleaving and all that stuff that's going on, uh, that's, you know, a basis of temperature. And yeah. uh, to some extent, probably pH and uh, as well, right? Right, right. Yeah, pH has a definite effect. Um, and I'll talk more about that in a second. Um, one other factor that's a very closely related to crush, of course, is your water to grist ratio. Mm-hmm. And we touched on that a few minutes ago, uh, briefly, you know, ultra thick mashes versus thin mashes. Um, in general, uh, the the effect of the water to grist ratio is kind of a secondary factor. It's a, you know, one tier down. It's not a primary factor, but it is a factor. Um, in general, thicker, a thicker mash is more protective to enzyme thermostability. Mm-hmm. So thicker mash will give you a little longer beta amylase life than, say, a thin mash. Now, what am I talking about, thick versus thin? Well, uh, generally, thick ratios are considered to be, um, in terms of liters per kilogram, 2.3 to about 4. This corresponds to uh, in terms of quarts per pound to like a 1.1 to a 2 quarts per pound ratio, okay? Mm-hmm. 1.1 to 2 quarts per pound, that's considered a thick mash, or again, 2.3 to 4 liters per kilogram thick mash. That, and that is generally regarded as being best for total extract and total fermentability. Um, a thinner mash... Anything that is uh, four liters per kilogram, uh, greater than four liters per kilogram, greater than two quarts per pound, uh, up to eight liters per kilogram or four quarts per pound, that's considered a thin mash. Mm-hmm. And you do find uh, a lot of uh, German brewers using thin mashes um, because uh, it's a lot easier to, you know, pump through mm-hmm. uh, commercial mashing systems and mash filter systems mm-hmm. uh, when it's thinner like that. Right. Um, Not necessarily and, better for the beer. Right. Better for the commercial brewery. Right. Um, you do, and it's kind of used kind of the next tier down in terms of total extract and total fermentability. Mm-hmm. Still works really well. Um, if you get above. You know that four quarts per pound or eight liter, eight liters per kilogram. Now you're you're moving into an area where uh, you have less thermostability, um, less enzyme density, and you're going to see some you know drops in performance of that mash. Less keys for for all the locks that are there, or the yes. keys are spread out over a greater area. 
Yeah, and there's and, and there's a higher thermal thermal mass of water mm-hmm. per unit acting, enzyme, so they're going to be uh, more less thermally stable, more more quickly denaturing, yeah. more quickly getting bent, yeah. and unusable in the lock. Right, and an ultra thick mash of anything that's you know uh, two liters per kilogram or less, or you know one one quart per pound or less, an ultra thick mash is going to have. Um, less favorable performance um, for extract and fermentability than a thin mash. Mm-hmm. So uh, that situation will come up because, you know, there are, there are home brewers or commercial brewers, they want to brew a really big beer. Mm-hmm. And so they're trying to get the maximum gravity out of that first runnings that they can. Um, put in lots of malt, very little water, trying to maximize the poundage of or the weight of grain in their mash ton to get as high a gravity extract you know or wort out as they can mm-hmm. um, you know that's good for getting high gravity extract but you're not going to get very much of it and you know the fermentability of that extract may suffer as a result mm-hmm. so again understand that trade-off You'll get high, very high gravity runnings, mm-hmm. but they may not be as fermentable, and certainly the efficiency, you know, the uh, the yield, the extract yield is going to be a lot less mm-hmm. uh, well, than what it would be if you had a lower or a more fluid ratio. Mm-hmm. You know, what's interesting about that is uh, when brewers do that, when they pack the mash ton and use the thick mash and are trying to get, it's because they're trying to get an ultra high gravity beer. They yeah. also tend to, when they do that, add simple sugars. So they add, add dextrose or cane sugar or Belgian candy sugar or whatever right. because they're trying to hit this higher uh, higher gravity, right? That's right. why they've maxed out their mash ton. And so that improves fermentability and uh, the total attenuation. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's interesting how just the traditional nature of things has kind of dealt with that in a roundabout right. way. It's a good point. Yeah, I think when it comes to you know, and we 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 we've done a, sh- a show or two on high gravity beers, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, if you are targeting a very high gravity beer, um, yeah, you, <clears throat> you can really <clears throat> excuse me, you can pack the mash ton to try to get that gravity up, but you may be better off in terms of you know total expenditure on on malt and time and so on to go for less weight in the mash ton mm-hmm. and in a more fluid ratio, something mm-hmm. around, you know, uh, one and a half quarts per pound and uh, or three liters per kilogram, and then just add malt extract at the boil kettle. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got, you know, the fresh malt flavors you want. You've got really good yield and fermentability out of your mash ton. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to make up, you know, additional gravity for that ultra high beer, mm-hmm. just add some malt extract near your kettle. Mm-hmm. A lot easier than you know, uh, than uh, pushing the mash through that uh, bunch of hoops. Okay, now what about pH? Okay, well pH uh, is interesting. It's a, it is, it is a primary factor, but um, generally, you know, we're operating. We're trying to operate within within the ballpark, within the known ballpark of good performance. Mm-hmm. Um, the The range that we always talk about with regards to the pH in the mash is 5.2 to 5.6 or 5.2 to 5.8, you know, cooled and measured at room temperature. Mm-hmm. That's the, gen- the generally accepted target range for mash pH. You're going to get good enzyme activity throughout that range. The trade-offs occur uh, kind of between the low end and the high end of the range. Mm-hmm. So, for example, uh, the total soluble extract yield does not generally change from the low versus the high end of the pH range, 5.2 to 5.8. Um, it doesn't significantly change your total extract between the low end and the high end. A fermentability, again, does not significantly change from the low to the high end of that pH range. Uh, on the other hand, the fan content of the wort will generally improve by a small but significant amount 
at the low end compared to the high end. So if you're down around 5.2 versus 5.6 or 5.8, all else being equal, you're going to get more fan uh, coming out of that wort Mm -hmm. as a result of that change in pH. A lower mash pH will also um, decrease the impact of the the mash ratio, the water to grist ratio we were just talking about. Mm-hmm. At higher pHs, at you know five six five eight, um, the effect of ultra thick mash versus thick and th- versus thin is more pronounced. Mm-hmm. As you come down to pH, that that difference decreases. Um, also, when you're at the lower mash pH of 5.2, you greatly reduce the activity of the lipoxygenase enzyme, which oxidizes fatty acid and causes long-term uh, flavor stability issues, staling of the mm-hmm. beer. Mm-hmm. Um, you, there's a 50% reduction, according to one study, uh, in lipoxygenase activity at 5.2 versus 5.8 pH. Mm-hmm. So that's something to be aware of. Um, and, you know, looking at, uh, you know, beginning all-grain brewers or, you know, all-grain brewers that don't have access to pH equipment, um, this this is one aspect of your brewing that you can improve by, you know, paying attention to pHs. You can, you can improve your flavor stability. You can potentially improve the flavor of your beer uh, by, you know, going by targeting lower mash temps or pHs, uh, you know, 5.2 to 5.4 end of the of the scale mm-hmm. rather than the high end, which is what ha- often happens um, when you're brewing with alkaline water, you know, typical groundwater, uh, you know, city water. Higher alkalinity mash pH is probably going to be towards the upper end of the scale rather than the low end, mm-hmm. uh, without adjustment. So, although on, uh, on one of these things on the oxidation of fatty acids, uh, wasn't this one of the things that uh, Bamforth was saying? Uh, you can actually kind of overcome it if you know with good fermentation. Yeah, um, there's there's several different aspects of of uh, word oxidation. Uh, and, you know, its impact on flavor stability. Mm -hmm. The hot side aeration thing uh, that is partly lipoxygenase or lipoxygenase uh, um, increases the the oxidation uh, resulting from hot side aeration. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, it's still still a factor despite... um, you know, very strong, vigorous fermentation. Mm-hmm. Uh, lipoxygenase activity is still a factor in flavor stability down the road. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's, uh, a, yeah. No, I was just going to say, so it's, 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 it's not a major worry, but it is something to keep in the back of your mind. Right. Sure. And yet another thing to worry about for for the homebrew. Yeah. All right, let's take a, our last break, and then when we come back, I want to hear uh, you wrap up this uh, this thing in a uh, hundred words or less. Right after <laughs> this. And now, Northern Brewer presents: What if homebrewers ruled the world? Ladies and gentlemen, if you'll follow me, I will lead you into the gallery area. Now, the first piece up for sale today is a Jamil Zena Chef original, a bottle of 1997 vintage Evil Twin. Oh, I see. A bidding for this one-of-a-kind piece will start at £7,000. And if you'll continue to follow me, ladies and gentlemen, I can show you a rather abstract piece from Bay Area brewer Justin Crossley. It's a German Doppelbach entitled Justin's Giant Bach. The brewer's notes here indicate that this beer had excellent mouthfeel. Your support of the Brewing Network means everything to us. We couldn't produce shows without you. And we love giving you something extra for that support, like... 
Brew Your Own magazine. You already know it's a great brewing magazine full of recipes, equipment how-tos, discussions of beer styles, and brewing techniques. Whether you're new to brewing and just starting out or you're an old pro, you'll always learn something from the articles in Brew Your Own. Plus, there are amazing special issues like plans for building a Brutus 10 system, 250 classic clone recipes, and the Home Brewer's Answer Book. Brew Your Own magazine and BYO.com are awesome resources for any brewer, whether for yourself or as a gift when you subscribe or resubscribe from the Brewing Network homepage, you directly support programs like this. Get a great magazine and support the Brewing Network. Subscribe to Brew Your Own right from the brewingnetwork.com. Beer tasting games that train your palate, a brewery locator, and the brand new interactive beer style guide. These are just a few of the awesome things you'll find on craftbeer.com. The style guide is a beautiful example of technology in beer. Browse beer style families or turn on the automatic beer style finder and explore beer through color, bitterness, ABV, aroma, and flavor. It's really the coolest way to explore every beer style besides having them all in front of you. Go to craft craftbeer.com and click on beer styles to start the guide plus enjoy the rest of craftbeer.com the brewers banter blogs beer education how to host a beer tasting and the invaluable draft quality manual tons of great content that makes your beer better visit the new craftbeer.com right now and explore the website that brings you all the passion camaraderie and creativity of the craft beer community craftbeer.com celebrating the best of american beer Adventures in Homebrewing have the knowledge and expertise to craft their own gear and original recipes. Some of the things Homebrewing.org creates and manufactures in-house are the Brutus brew stands and propane burners, the serial killer adjustable two-roller grain mill with seven-pound hopper, custom stainless steel false bottoms designed to fit kegels, coolers, and mini-sized brew pots. The brewers at Adventures in Homebrewing have designed a huge selection of original recipes for extract and all-grain brewing. Adventures in Homebrewing original recipes are tried and tested, proven to be of the best quality. And right now, Adventures in Homebrewing is shipping 24 of their best recipes for free. Visit homebrewing.org for the most current selection. Once you try one of Adventures in Homebrewing recipes, you'll keep coming back for more. And now, it's even easier with free shipping on these kits. Brewing Network listeners receive 10% off their homebrewing.org orders when they use coupon code IPA at checkout. See terms and conditions for full details. For nearly 40 years, one organization has had your back. The American Homebrewers Association. Are you a member? <laughs> Why not? Join the more than 40,000 brewers who enjoy all the American Homebrewers Association has to offer. Like Zymergy Magazine, in print and online. Plus the Zymergy app. Zymergy is the leading publication for amateur brewers around the world. Supporters also get member deals at their local breweries, bars, and homebrew shops. These alone quickly pay for your membership. You'll also get great member-only resources at homebrewersassociation.org and access to AHA events like the National Homebrewers Conference and the National Homebrew Competition. The American Homebrewers Association promotes the hobby of homebrewing, protects the interests of homebrewers, and brings beer lovers to together become a member today it costs less than a batch of beer and gives back so much more visit homebrewersassociation.org learning to brew has never been so disgusting this is brew strong All right, we're back. John, wrap we put up the this. the fun in brewing, don't we? <laughs> we, we poop the fun in brewing, yes. Uh, wrap up this, uh, this two-show ganza of MASH information. All righty. Well, uh, looking, at, looking at the scientific literature here, mm-hmm. um, what, it's, what it's showing us is that um, for modern, well-modified malts, uh, that is a Kobach index of 40 or higher. The best extract yield and fermentability can be achieved by a single temperature infusion mash placed at or slightly above the gelatinization temperature of the malt. Um, 
And in doing so, more than half of the conversion and dextrinization will have occurred within the first 15 minutes of the mash. And the greater majority of the extract and conversion will be complete within 30 minutes. Small gains in extract and fermentability can be still be realized, though, with longer mashing times. So, you know, when you look at this in terms of home brewing scale versus commercial scale, uh, especially with commercial scale, you're going to have, you know, perhaps multiple lots of malt that are within your silo or, you know, you're going to get several different bags. The, the gelatinization temperature variation across all these malts is probably going to drive you to choose a little higher mashing temperature so you get, you know, everything fully soluble and, you know, able to be acted on uh, by the enzymes. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's one consideration. Um, and you're probably going to, you may want uh, a second mash rest, say, such as an alpha rest, you know, to, again, get the most extract uh, out of that mash. Um, there are a lot of factors at work here mm -hmm. in the mash. Uh, it's it's easy to look at, you know, a small-scale study, limited factors being changed, but, uh, and, you know, and point to these uh, effects. But when you take that to the practical side and the commercial scale, you've got to kind of take a step back and apply a little fudge factor here and there mm -hmm. to make sure that you've got all your bases covered. Well, and especially also, um, you know, crappy crush. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Crush has a, a huge difference in how fast this all occurs. Yeah. So that is true. That's what I always tell people, oh, you know, I'm not getting enough extract. And, well, your crush is probably bad and you're not waiting long enough. Yeah. Wait longer is always my advice. Yeah. It's, uh, that, that's a very good point. I mean, that's, that's the practical side of, of these, uh, of these, uh, studies is, you know, we, we look at and identify what the levers are, but then, you know, keeping those in mind, look at our, our practical considerations, you know, uh, degree of crush, mm -hmm. how long the transit time is through the, through the process, you know, um, you know, pick your battles. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, in general, based on the, this, uh, based on this particular study, for example, uh, they found that they achieved their best extract fermentability with a, uh, a mash ratio of 2.3 to 1 liters, to, liters per kilogram, uh, mash schedule of at least 30 to 40 minutes at 64 C, followed by another 15 to 20 minutes at 72 C or 162 F. Uh, that provided in their study the highest combination of yield, fermentability, fan, and reduced fatty acid uh, oxidation. So, you know, looking at all the parameters that they were looking at in this study uh, for their for their lots of barley, these were the parameters that uh, worked best for them. Again, you've got to take a step back and you know use your experience and your and you know your own analysis of your mash. You know, gravity. Uh, degree of fermentability, forced fermentations, and um, use these numbers and this, these papers to help you understand what's happening in your own mash to get to your best uh, efficiency. Well, there you go. I think that's well said. Another fine show, uh, wrapping up the, the, the two-show ganza of uh, mash and time and temperature. Uh, good yep. job, John. Thank you. I am pleased. You have earned uh, to avoid the beating, Reek. No problem. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll go Our, find a silver star for me somewhere. Yes, absolutely. I will. I will. I will bring one with me next time. I, I, I'll give you a gold star for this one. Oh, sweet! You are. See, that's all it takes to make John happy. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll see you next week at uh, NHC. Yeah. There you go. All right. Uh, if you enjoy this show, make sure to, you know, check out our sponsors. Uh, check out Blickman Engineering, BlickmanEngineering.com. Uh, innovating your brew day so uh, you have a funner brew day. Uh, check them out. 
Uh, make sure to go to the Brewing Network store, brewingnetwork.com slash store. Lots of goodies in there, and you deserve some. And I'll tell you what, you buy yourself a nice hoodie or hat or glassware or many of the great things they have in there. When you do, all the profits go to the bottom line of the Brewing Network and keep this show on the air. So don't hesitate. Treat yourself today. Until then, everybody, brew strong. Brew strong. Brew strong.